Chapter Thirty Three of the Forgery by George Payne Ringsford James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirty Three. It is a most unfortunate and ever to be lamented thing that the fairies have quitted England. How it happened, I do not know, nor is the period of their departure exactly ascertained. But I cannot help thinking that it was about the time of the Great Rebellion when the whole people of the country were so busy about other things that they had hardly time to eat their breakfasts and none to knock holes in the bottoms of their eggshells so that the fairies had a fleet of little ships ready prepared for them to cross the channel when they thought fit nor is it at all wonderful that they should choose that time for going with the fairy of order at their head for every one knows that the good little people are strongly averse to anarchy and confusion and dissension of every kind so that when oberon and titania quarrel i have it upon good authority the whole of the royal train except puck who stands by and laughs hide themselves away under harebells and columbines and only peep out with one eye to see when the storm has blown over however certain it is that they are all gone left our shores i fear for ever nothing can be done by magic now the milk remains unchurned, and no more is seen before the fire, stretched at his length the lubbered fiend. All the business of the world goes on at a jog-trot, and that trot is very often a slow one. So Lady Anne Mellant found it at Milford, for the people were not at all accustomed to work fast or obey promptly, and they did not believe the stories told by the servant whom she had left behind in regard to her impatience of disobedience and delay. Early in the morning a whole host of servants, headed by the butler and housekeeper, arrived at Milford Castle. But when Lady Anne Mellant herself appeared, with good Mrs. Bryce, her former governess, she found everything in the most woeful state of confusion. There was no end of embarrassments. Almost all the servants were congregated in the great hall, waiting for her coming and all were full of complaints of Mrs. Grimes and the steward. "'I never saw such neglect in my life, my lady,' said the tall, stately housekeeper, dressed in a Quaker-coloured silk, shot with amethyst and green. "'This good woman, this Mrs. Grimes, tells me that she used almost all the coals in the house last night and this morning, and that there are heaven knows how many miles to send for more.' "'There is not a bit of charcoal in the house, my lady,' said the cook, advancing in his white nightcap and apron and mrs barker here says it is my fault for not bringing it in the fourgon now i could not lumber the fourgon all the way from london with charcoal where are the toilet covers for my lady's room mrs barker said lady anne's maid addressing the housekeeper in a loud tone aside i declare said one of the footmen in an audible tone just behind the butler's back "'I don't think that either oil or candles were remembered.' "'Nor blacking,' said another. "'Nor soap,' said a very broad housemaid. "'The meat is all fresh killed,' rumbled the cook. "'And the poultry has been sent in with all the feathers on,' added the kitchen-maid, with a sort of hysterical scream at the thought of the eternity of plucking before her and the scullion. Lady Anne burst into a fit of laughter, which no sense of dignity could restrain. It was evident that there were no fairies there to favour her, though, heaven knows, if there had been one in the island, 
he or she would have been there with counsel to support the gay-hearted good-humoured lady of the castle seeing that her merriment was becoming infectious lady anne made a great effort to suppress it and was turning away towards the drawing-room telling the housekeeper to follow her when a girl ran in exclaiming apparently in reference to something which had passed just before the lady's arrival butter they say there's not a pound of butter within twenty miles it was too much for human endurance and making the best of her way into the drawing-room lady anne sat down and wiped the merry tears from her eyes while the housekeeper stood before her looking exceedingly rueful let me have my writing-desk said the young lady at length now mrs barker she said have the goodness to let me know everything that is wanting in your department and the cook's oh my lady i can't manage the cook exclaimed the housekeeper in a tone of spiteful dignity he has been raging like a wild beast all the morning i am sure i was very glad when your ladyship came for i thought he would have eaten some of us up cooked you i suppose you mean replied her lady i will very soon manage him if you cannot go and make me out a list then of what you want yourself and remember that it be complete send the butler here the butler when he entered received nearly the same orders and then the cook being introduced made his complaint in formal terms in regard to the state of everything in the house the very pots pans and kettles were not according to his mind the meat was all new killed no fish had yet appeared butter was not to be had eggs were scanty and the vegetables which the garden produced had been out of season in london for a full month lady anne listened to him with the utmost patience but when he had done she said in a grave tone monsieur hacker i wonder to hear you speak in this way i had always thought that a man of your great skill could out of an ox's head or foot produce at least three courses it is in emergencies such as the present that the genius of a great man appears go sir and out of such materials as you have show me what your art can do i shall dine at eight but in the meantime there will be servants going both to belford and wooler you can make out a list of all that is absolutely necessary and send it to both places gradually we shall get what is required from london but at present remember i expect to see a triumph of art my lady you shall not be disappointed said the cook laying his hand upon his heart it is only that mrs barker enrages me with her inepties very well replied lady anne see that she does not enrage you any more lest your lady's service should suffer the man retired and with a gay glance to poor mrs bryce who had been confounded at the symptoms of rebellion she had witnessed lady anne gave way to another burst of merriment which she had repressed in the man's presence in order to treat him with that dignified consideration which is especially required by men cooks the vainest of all creatures upon earth not even excepting dancing masters romance writers and poets some degree of order in the proceedings of the household was soon re-established the lists were made out very formidable it must be confessed in length and details and a copy of each was sent off to wooler and belford some fine trout were brought in in the course of the morning and also a salmon it was found just possible when people set about it willingly to obtain butter and coals within a less distance 
than twenty miles and although from time to time during the rest of the day a fresh want was discovered and a little noise was made about it like an occasional roar of thunder after a storm has passed by all went on very tolerably considering till at length about five o'clock a cart was seen wending towards the house the driver of which bore a note to lady anne my dear child it ran i saw very clearly yesterday that you know not northumberland that you forgot milford has not been regularly inhabited for more than ten years and that tis in somewhat of a remote district i have therefore sent you over some of the produce of my farms to supply deficiencies for to-day and to-morrow i shall come and dine with you and inquire what can be done to render you service by your faithful servant and admirer charles hargrave columbus when he first discovered the shores of a new continent hardly felt as much satisfaction as monsieur hacker did when he saw the contents of that cart the well-fed well-fattened well-kept mutton the fine river and sea-fish the white poultry the fat pigeons the ducklings the guinea-fowl the eggs the butter the green goose the fine vegetables the hot-house fruit everything was there that could be thought of and he went from one article to another murmuring cotelettes à la braise en compote matelote roti au cresson à la célestine mon dieu if we had truffles it would be complete and the heart of the cook rejoiced with a pure and high devotion for the honour of his art and of his mistress for he knew that on that day lady fleetwood and maria monkton were expected to dine at milford and for the latter lady he entertained that reverent affection which all really chivalrous cooks feel towards beauty his last and severest trial was to discover that nothing but brown bread was to be procured in the neighbourhood for which there was no remedy but nevertheless that was not his fault and when about half-past seven o'clock the rush of wheels was heard and maria's carriage drove up to the gates he felt a proud satisfaction at the odours which were rising up around him as an incense which had not risen from the altars of milford for many a long year the dinner was laid in the great dining-hall for lady anne had determined to make the first impression of her ancestral castle as imposing as possible upon her young friend the reader may ask why and may say was it like her so gay so joyous so thoughtless so careless of show ceremony or parade nevertheless it was so she had laid it all out she had even condescended to a little trickery although at that season of the year there was light enough remaining in the sky at a quarter past eight when they began their dinner to proceed with the first course at least with no aid but from the beams of heaven yet she had ordered two windows at the side to be shut up leaving unclosed only the large oriel window at the end filled with deep-coloured stained glass over the table which looked almost like a speck in the centre of the great hall hung an old-fashioned but richly ornamented silver chandelier with eight branches lighted but yet the beams only illumined the table and a sort of uncertain twilight pervaded the remoter parts of the hall except where a sideboard loaded with ancient plate appeared lighted by several old candlesticks lady anne had so contrived it that in coming from the great drawing-room to the hall 
the little party passed through several other rooms but faintly lighted and in so doing lady anne managed that maria should occupy the middle place between her and lady fleetwood as they entered the hall she looked up in her young friend's face while her eyes ran over the fine old chamber which with its lights in the centre its mysterious gloom at the end the richly covered table and sideboard the number of servants in their handsome liveries the large antique chandelier of silver and its silver chain the tall stained glass oriel at the end and the evening light faintly streaming through only just sufficiently to throw long lines of yellow purple blue and even red upon the floor and ceiling and those three graceful women entering arm in arm looked more like some painter's dream of the ancient time than anything that is seen in our own stiff and tinselled days what a beautiful hall exclaimed lady fleetwood looking round isn't it cold and at the same moment her foot passed from the rim of marble which ran round the whole chamber and took the first step on the ocean of turkey carpet with which seven-tenths of the floor was covered i think not answered lady anne at all events i shall try dear lady fleetwood to keep it warm and gay while i am here isn't it a fine hall maria it is indeed replied maria the span of the vault is so great it makes me feel as if i were in westminster hall oh no no cried lady anne not amongst lawyers in black gowns but come maria you take that end of the table and be mistress of the house i will act master for the present and lady fleetwood shall be our guest do you know dear lady she continued seating herself i intend to be very gay while you are all here and to have a grand ball and a number of dinner-parties and that we shall amuse ourselves all the morning and sing and dance and flirt all the night and have all the great people of the county who will come won't that be very delightful maria very splendid indeed said maria with a smile like the splendour of a sky-rocket when it bursts said lady anne quite gravely but why did you call it splendid maria why did you not say pleasant charming delightful because i am sure i should like milford quite as well without any such gaieties replied maria monkton you know i am not particularly fond of large parties anne and although one must mingle with them and some of them are pleasant enough yet i hardly think they deserve the epithet of charming or delightful cynic said lady anne mellant and proceeded to eat her dinner with a somewhat pouting air as if she were hardly well pleased she was soon as gay again as ever and when they returned to the drawing-room she opened the window and gazed out with maria upon the starry night which looked almost misty with its innumerable lights and upon the wide-spread park with its undulating slopes and the tall dark masses of the trees cutting black upon the luminous heaven they had been silent for some time while lady fleetwood sat at the other end of the room netting one of the innumerable purses which had afforded her a grand source of occupation through life but suddenly lady anne's lips moved and she said aloud as her eyes remained fixed upon one spot of the sky thronged with stars oh ye bright and glorious wonders of the night and you voices as men dream in days of old to tell the fate of those born under your influence how gladly would i ask the destiny of those who here stand and gaze upon you 
Say, Arcturus, would thou take me in thy car, and let me see the storms and tempests that wait my onward course, and that of the dear girl beside me, or thou, planet of love and hope, just climbing the hill of heaven? Wilt thou tell me whether the seeds which have been sown in our hearts under thine influence will bud and blossom into the flowers we dream of? Shall we go hand in hand together, even unto the end, as hitherto we have lived in deep affection? Shall the ties which bind us in nearer kindred unite our hearts still more closely? Or shall the love that knows no sharer wean us of our youthful tenderness towards each other? I ask not to hear what will be the frowns or smiles of fortune, whether the dull earth's wealth will be augmented or diminished whether we shall meet reverse, accident, or care, ay, or even poverty, or early death. I only ask, shall we love and be loved? For surely that is to know enough of fate. And turning away towards Maria, she leaned her brow upon her fair friend's shoulder. For a moment or two Maria was silent, and then she said in a low tone, If the stars could have answered you, would you have asked the man? yes yes eagerly replied lady anne would not you maria i think so answered maria yet sometimes perhaps it were better not to know our fate oh no no exclaimed lady anne doubt is always horrible yes but there may be trust without knowledge faith without comprehension replied her fair friend I have both, although the future is very dark and impenetrable to me just now. Oh, it shall be bright, cried Lady Anne. Mine shall be the voice of those brilliant stars, which, rolling millions of miles above all earthly things, may well see, stretched out beneath their eyes of living light, the past, the present, and the future of each existing thing. Oh, yes, it shall be bright, Maria for you the future hours are weaving a many-blossomed wreath first is the early bud of love now full-blossomed to a rose and then the clustering lily of the veil to speak domestic happiness and peace the passionate violet hiding its intense blue eyes in the shade and spreading rapture's perfume round and the proud imperial lily portrait of a high station in the world's esteem the pansy too imaging the sunshine of the breast and pure enduring faith, and the linked hyacinth with its many buds. All, all are there, sweet sister, for you and him you love, and the wandering seasons as they pass along shall not unfold a flower or ripen a fruit that shall not fall into your hand. If your wishes can command fate, said Maria, it is the voice of hope and not of the stars you speak, dear Anne nay nay i am a prophetess just now replied lady anne beware how you doubt cassandra lest she predict woes as well as blessings i see a little cloud coming and the stars tell me it is very near it sweeps over the face of the moon but the moon scatters it and the blue sky drinks it up dear me is the moon risen exclaimed lady fleetwood from the other side of the room and Lady Anne's fanciful visions were gone in a moment. "'Oh, dear,' she said to Maria, with a low voice and a sigh, "'I forgot we were in this world, but always something brings us back to it. "'No, she is not risen yet, dear Lady Fleetwood.' 
"'I thought you said you saw her,' said Lady Fleetwood. "'I was only romancing,' replied Lady Anne. "'This is an age when our young women dream dreams, "'but now I'll talk sober sense. "'You know, Lady Fleetwood, "'that I am going to have three gentlemen to stay with me tomorrow, "'and you must act quite the lady of the house, "'for decorum's sake, be a very discreet chaperone and not take the slightest notice if I choose to flirt more desperately with Mr. Winkworth, or any one else. I'll do the same, and not take any notice when you flirt with any one, or Maria either. "'I'm sure, dear Lady Anne, Maria never flirts,' said Lady Fleetwood, in the most matter-of-fact way in the world. "'Bless her heart, then she shall do it for once, just to keep me in countenance,' exclaimed Lady Anne. "'But remember, you are to be chaperone, Lady Fleetwood, "'and to look as demure as possible.' "'But where is Mrs. Bryce?' said Lady Fleetwood. "'I haven't seen her since we came.' "'Oh, dear me, I forgot Mrs. Bryce,' said Lady Anne. "'Well, she will do quite as well for a chaperone, "'and so you shall have leave to flirt too. "'But the truth is, she's so tired with her journey "'and so frightened with the desolation we found reigning in these halls,' "'that she said she would not come down to-night "'and dined in her own room. "'Tomorrow she will be as brisk as ever, I dare say, "'and that will just do, "'for I expect Mr. Hargrave, whom I am in love with, "'and intend to marry, to dine with us also.' "'Mr. Hargrave, intend to marry?' "'exclaimed Lady Fleetwood and Maria both together. "'Certainly,' said Lady Anne. "'He is the dearest, cleverest, most beautiful old man in the world, "'in a velvet coat, embroidered waistcoat, and black velvet breeches, "'just like a fine piece of Dresden china well preserved. "'He is, moreover, the soul of honour and the spirit of good judgment. "'If I had the most difficult and delicate thing in the world to do, "'I would entrust it to Mr. Hargrave.' "'I have seen him,' said Lady Fleetwood, "'I remember him quite well in poor Sir John's lifetime. "'But Sir John did not like him.' "'My dear father did,' replied Lady Anne, "'and consulted him on all his affairs. "'So you see, I could not do better than marry him, "'for I am sure I want someone to manage me, "'don't I, dear lady?' "'Maria smiled, "'but Lady Fleetwood expressed a general opinion "'that all young women ought to marry, "'especially if they had lost their parents.' and after some more conversation of the same rambling kind, they separated and betook themselves to their beds. End of chapter 33